Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Another day, another Flames win as Calgary beats Vancouver last night and now have a few days to enjoy the victory. Welcome to Hockey Central at noon. It is a jammed edition of the program today. Peter Klein, Logan Gordon with you for the next hour. I mean, Logo's here for a while, but specifically for Hockey Central at noon, we're here for the next hour talking uh, about the Flames and the Canucks after their game last night. Let's get right to it. Let's chat with our Flames insider, Peter Labardius. Flames insider, Peter Labardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Lou, uh, another strong performance, uh, I thought, from the the Calgary Flames last night. And uh, I think the the biggest takeaway for me on a night where there's quite a few, uh, but that Mm -hmm. is definitely what we were expecting from Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan. Well, Let's start there, if, if we will. And so their play last night, five on five, was excellent. But part of their story, Peter, has a lot to do with the reconstruction of your group. And what I mean by that is you're trying to give your team advantages over your opponent. And, and you get to do that by utilizing them in advantageous situations. So we've talked a lot about the difference in this team now is when you put that grouping of Lindholm, who, by the way, played 24 and a half minutes last night, and Kachuk. Then you have the Backland group, and we know what they're capable of. So look at it this way. Now you have... Not one, because the backland grouping over the year is the PM line or how it's constructed now. Pretty much a really good two-way line that you feel comfortable against other teams' top players. Now, when you add Elias Lindholm and put him in the most forward spot there is in the middle with Kachuk and, and what was Dubé before he got hurt, now, don't you have two unbelievably reliable, you're comfortable playing them against other teams' top people? So what that does, when things are going well, and you look after your end of the business, and you're ahead or even or not far behind, it can free you to get maybe more favorable offensive matchups in some regards, for two of your most dynamic and best offensive players. Now, one of the differences was last night is the setup was great. And those guys, they started to dictate with their five-on-five play. And thus, the wheels started rolling in great motion. Because in the game last night turning points for me and that was it, needless to say the Canucks had been for the splendid work great work of Jacob Marks uh, I believe we've lost Lou on the other uh, connection uh, 
Lou, if you are, uh, if you can still hear me, we will uh, jump. We're gonna jump in and drop you here, and we have to reconnect the uh, the phone. Not our friend right now, uh, so we will uh, reconnect with our Flames insider Peter Labardius there. Um, uh, interested to, to get more of his thoughts though uh, on a pretty strong night from Gaudreau and Monahan, and talking about how we want to or how how we want to see the Flames attack with this lineup, and how the Flames are able to attack with this lineup. So a pretty strong showing from Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan last night kind of helped out as Lou was getting to by the depth of the flames. While we have a moment here, want to let you guys know coming up at about 1230 today, we will have Eric DeHatchuk and then at about 1245, Corey Saric coming back on to help us break down another win for the flames over the Vancouver Canucks last night. Uh, if you have any thoughts, send them our way on the text line 960-960. Uh, Lou, we were fighting a bit of a losing battle with technology. Uh, can you hear me now? I can, and I could hear you the whole time. It's just uh, doing it from my uh, basement dwelling. Seems like it's never all that reliable, so here we go again. Anyway, getting back, the best I can was, you know, the Gaudreau-Monaghan grouping last night really drove the bus in the sense that they come off that penalty kill, Peter, early in the second period. And I thought that really built momentum. And coming out of that particular kill in a bump-up situation, the Flames went with a trio, and you see it a lot coming out of penalty kills, a line of Monaghan, Gaudreau, and Kachuk. And then they had arguably the best shift of the game. And I thought that that left the next group, and then the Flames, they really started to create five on five eventually it led to you know the three goals great give and go down low you know sean and johnny went to work so you're right Uh, they were terrific last night in doing what they do best to help drive play and throughout your lineup when you can win more shifts and more matchups and it sets everybody else up in good shape, some pretty great things can happen. And so that's why I started today talking again about what playing Lindholm down the middle with Kachuk gives your team that you didn't necessarily have before. So you become deeper. You have two lines in particular that you say, okay, we can play these guys and be very comfortable against any of the other team's top groups, and that can free other people up to win matchups. So in many ways, after a tough first period last night, you saw the remnants of a reconstruction project that absolutely everybody made a big difference in why the Flames were successful. Mm-hmm. No, I think that that's an excellent point, and that is why I, I kind of we're, we're getting the the texts pr- uh, predictably 
well, it's too bad they can't do this five-on-five five in the playoffs. And you know, no matter what they do, Johnny could score a goal doing a backflip this year, and someone's going to say, oh, yeah, well, let's see him do that against Dallas in the playoffs. Um, and, and that is certainly going to be a question. Do, do you think, w- with the changes to the depth and maybe with a few more favorable matchups for the Flames, especially at home, um, do you think that is enough that, to help get these guys over that hump that, that's been causing problems for this organization for so long? Well, the simple answer, Peter, is let's not overreact one way or another. So you build your portfolio because you do it over a matter of long stretches. So last night was a great night. And last night, as you alluded to in our text line, showed it. People will go to the low-hanging fruit in some ways on both sides of the equation depending on what you believe or what you want to believe. The truth is you have to give it time to see the difference that it can make. We're three games in. We're three games in. And you're going to have lots of opportunities against an excellent division, including look who their next opponent is, the Toronto Maple Leafs for back-to-back games to see how it all comes together. But you construct your group to give yourself the best chance to be successful. So I can't even go anywhere outside of that because Mm -hmm. we've never seen this for any length of time, have we? Where it's been these kind of pairings and situations. And it's been the growth of certain players that allow you to do that. But now, listen, strength down the middle, Peter, and hockey matters a lot. And when you come at people with, you know, now that trifecta of Backland, Lindholm, and Monaghan, that can create situations. And here's what else happened last night in the game that probably hasn't necessarily resonated. Do you know what happens to other teams' top players sometimes when you start winning matchups against them? How often have we talked about the frustration of Sean and Johnny and maybe sometimes Johnny in particular? You don't think there hasn't been some remnants early in the season with somebody like Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser after the first game and their top people? Guess what? When it gets hard and you go out and you can match and you make their life miserable, that takes a toll on other groups too. So now you've changed the narrative. And, and that to me in many ways was the story of last night and the story of that two-game series against Vancouver. Your best people... And it's not just how you produce. When you check and you're responsible and you get saves, now it's the other group who becomes frustrated and they're searching. And why can't we execute offensively and generate and cash in? So we've talked a lot about the Flames' top players and how difficult it's been. Guess what? when you play the game the right way, when you have more options and you check the living daylights out of your opponent, 
Boy, that's not so much fun on the other side of the ledger now, is it? No. No, and I think uh, Elias Pettersson's wallet's about $3,000 lighter and Sean Monaghan's chest has a new welt on it because of that frustration that the the Canucks top forwards felt last night. And uh, it certainly didn't start that way. Like, that was not how we thought that would go after period number one. And I thought that was another one of the major uh, positives for the Flames Going back to that opening night against Winnipeg, once the ball started rolling in the Jets' favor, for whatever reason, the Flames couldn't get that to stop. And that first period, Vancouver was in complete control. And this time, the Flames had a good counterpunch, and they were in control the rest of the way. I think that's a pretty big positive to take, that Calgary was able to respond the way they did after a very dominant first period from Vancouver. Peter, it's probably the most positive thing for me personally to take away because it shows growth it shows growth and it shows the team's ability to even grow from the example you gave that didn't happen they could never reel the game in in Winnipeg they weren't able to reel it in they reeled it back in and they not only reeled it back in they completely took over and here's head coach Jeff Ward echoing the same sentiments after being uh, none too pleased with the group's opening period. We were outworked, outskated in the first period. I mean, Vancouver was, they were, you know, really strong. They came out with a good, hard push. We knew they were going to be better than the other night, and they were. Um, and we were back on our heels for the whole period. And uh, I give our guys a lot of credit. You know, we regrouped after the first intermission, and we came out and we found a way to, to tie the hockey game and then grab the lead. And that's... Uh, you know, that's a really good sign of growth for us as far as, uh, you know, how we feel and, and uh, you know, how we react in the, in the correct ways at, uh, at key times. Peter, in yeah. many ways, what they said last night was, this isn't good enough. This is not living up to our standard and our end of the bargain. And that's how teams become really really good because those types of stretches and those types of periods don't happen a whole bunch listen you've mentioned it several times i've made a habit of talking about it and last night again was the extreme case of what do you get done when you're clearly better and what does the other team get done or what do you limit when the other team is clearly better the difference last night is, and it was the same way, and it says a lot, I think, about no exhibition games, trying to get to your team play. You know, the Flames have a lot of changes, but we're seeing these kind of even more massive swings, aren't we, across the league in certain cases. But you know, in the NHL, almost regardless of your opponent, you're not dominating anyone for 60 at a time. I always talk about those seven or 10 minute stretches, both good and bad, right? And mm -hmm. those very much determine winning or losing hockey games. Right now, I think because of, you know, how early we are and not the same kind of preparation, I have a tendency to think that seven and 10 minute swings are turning into sometimes 20 and 30 minute swings. 
and when it swings in the opposite direction uh, of the Calgary Flames, the goalie's pretty good to, to help limit oh. that. And once again, last night, Jacob Markstrom. Uh, again, it, it's not Dominic Hasek making a, a fantastic save or, or flopping around or anything like that. It's the exact opposite, and I think that's why it's so great. It's so calming back there when things get under fire. It, it's like his heart rate stays at, like, 30. The, the dude is just ice in his veins back there, and that is a huge help, I think, to this Flames team. Well, it's it's a massive help when you have that in that position. You know, I'll never forget Jerry James, who was the first coach I ever dealt with in my career, the coach of the Estevan Bruins. And I'll never forget sitting in his office and he looked at me and I, I forget the exact sequence, but the message was, um, you know, great goaltending or really good goaltending can make a team great. But the opposite is completely the truth because, as he pointed out, when you have that kind of goaltending, it just allows everybody else to play freer with a lot more confidence. And as good as Jacob was, and when you consider the situation against his old group, he was excellent on Saturday. Last night he was world-class, and his team needed him to be world-class and they do not win that hockey game without his outstanding play, not only in the first, but after that tough break on the shorthanded goal and Travis Green pulls his goalie with four plus, they were under siege and had to kill a penalty. And who was great again after going a long stretch of time with not a whole lot of activity. That to me last night, from Jacob Markstrom was the definition of world-class goaltending. And just, uh, again, like a, a huge boost. And this team could be in a completely different spot if not for some of his timely saves. Uh, a couple more here with our Flames insider, Peter Labardius. Tough, uh, not all positive last night. As Dylan Dubé goes down with an injury, uh, no update post-game the team off today, so probably no new information on this one until tomorrow. Hopefully not a long-term issue in the Flames break coming at the, the right time for him, but if he's out for any extended time, that's a, a damn shame because I thought he was really coming into his own on that line with, uh, with Lindholm and Kachuk. He's an excellent young player, and if it is anything of any length, they're going to miss him. Absolutely, they are going to miss him. The great news is, and last night, you know, proved that when you have some depth, you can virtually handle it better than when that's not the case. And again, he didn't play last night. But even when you have someone like Joachim Nordstrom, who's not in your lineup, well, now you just have, you have other options. And the more good NHL options you have, you would never want Dylan to be out for any length of time. But don't you agree they're in a way better position to be able to handle it? And in this COVID-type season again, they're going to go through things. You know, we see it again with what's happening with Carolina and the cancellation of their game and you know, Lord only knows how long, you know, the Hurricanes are unable to ice a team. So, you know, we're going to see all kinds of different situations. But Dylan is a terrific player. 
I, I think he has a chance to be a star type player in the league as he continues to grow and gain experience. So they're going to miss him. And then I guess the only other silver lining is if ever you were going to lose a key guy and hopefully not for very long, well, you don't play again until Sunday. So that buys you a little time. It's, it's, it's good from that standpoint that they're not dealing in a, a six and nine or, you know, three and four right away. Mm-hmm. And to your point, the, to your point of the the depth issue, um, the depth of this team. Like I thought, Manjapani when he moves up with that group, just look exactly right at home with those guys. And that's a, a trio that I would like to see a little bit more of, not at the expense of Dubé. But uh, I think that Manjapani is a perfect fit there. And that, again, kind of speaks to what you were talking about, this whole hit, uh, the depth of the organization and the depth of the forward group that they were able to build in the offseason. Andrew's work is outstanding. The way he thinks it, but you never question the work. And when you have versatile people... They're really important because it allows you to plug and play. And one of the great maturation pieces for someone like Andrew is you don't notice drop-off very often with him now, regardless of the minutes or the responsibility. When you're analyzing players, you don't really have to look much deeper than that when coaches can now trust and plug and play and put you in every situation line special teams regardless and feel like you're going to handle it doesn't that mean you've arrived at a different place totally that's andrew that's that's where andrew is for me and that's not to say that i all I've seen is him continue to grow, and, and I think he's going to continue to do that. And that's the very reason, Peter, why he saw even what you saw last night. You can plug and play this guy in a lot of different places, and he can do it almost every which way you want. The more guys in my lineup I can do that with, man, now I'm getting somewhere. Yep. Uh, good spot to leave this one off at today, Lou. This was uh, a lot of fun. We will chat tomorrow. Hopefully, more information and good information on, on Dylan Dubé. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk again tomorrow. Okay, have a great day. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. And a reminder, Friday is creeping ever closer. If you want to get in on Lou's mailbag, you can. Sportsnet.ca slash 960. Every Friday at noon, we will ask one question from there. And the person whose question that is gets a $100 gift card to Ruth's Chris to use as soon as they are open. We'll be doing this weekly until the end of the regular season. And it's brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. When you hear the sizzle of the best steak in town, you can't help but get excited. And at Ruth's Chris, they can't wait to celebrate with you again soon. Go Flames! Uh, time for us to take a break. When we come back, more breakdown of the Flames and Canucks and everything else going on in the NHL with Eric Dehatchik next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. 
We continue to break down the Flames and the Canucks and just the Flames start to the season in general. Welcome back to Hockey Central at noon, everyone. Very pleased to be joined by our NHL insider, Eric Dehatchuk. Uh Eric, after a, a shaky opening night, the Flames with back-to-back pretty good performances over the Canucks. Um, now, all of a sudden, a uh, lengthy break. Maybe not a, a great time, but I guess w- before we dive too much into some other particulars, y- your overall thoughts on the Flames' first three games of the season? Yeah, I mean, you know, very good. Uh, you know, the, the, to me, I've been watching a ton of hockey since uh, since I dropped the puck on the first night, and the one theme that emerges is this unbelievable inconsistency, and 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 I think that that's just part and parcel with with the, the nature of the beast this year, which is, you know, shortened training camps, no exhibition. So the first NHL game really is like the first exhibition game where teams are working out their kinks. So I made a vow to myself that I would close my eyes and not read too much into anything that happens through the first seven days of the season. So we're, what, seven days in right now. So I, I think I'm allowed to open my eyes and, uh, <laughs> and start to weigh in. So, you know, I, I get what happened in last night's game. They, you know, the first period, they, were, they weren't very good. And it looked like, like Vancouver had bounced back uh, from a, kind of an embarrassing loss on, uh, on Saturday night and, and looked like they had all the momentum. And all of a sudden, it, it just switched. And, and it was a completely different game for the last two periods. So what happens at the end of seven days, you know, t- teams are going to sit there and, and they're either going to have like, like questions that they're very concerned about. Edmonton has questions. Vancouver, I think, has questions. Or you can be in the situation that the Flames are in where, where you're actually sitting pretty good. And I'm sure that the, the messaging from the coaches and, and the leadership group is we've still got a long way to go, but we have these points in the bank and, and, and we're off to a good start and, and we're trending in the right direction. And more importantly than anything else, I think it's such a challenging year psychologically, right? So if, if everything is going well on the ice, I think it's just a lot easier for people to deal with, with all the other things that they have to do that is making all of our lives more complicated, whether you're a professional athlete or whether, you know, you're, you know, we're talking on, on the radio for a living. So, so yeah, I, 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 I give them high marks for the ability to come back from a poor start last night for, for being as, you know, as, as good as they, they have been. And, you know, I think that if they could just take, you know, the back, you know, the kind of the fade in, in, in the Winnipeg game, it would be, you know, a three-star start for sure. With that in mind, do you think that this uh, break the Flames have now, where they don't play again until Sunday afternoon against Toronto, is this a positive uh, thing so they can maybe work out some of the kinks that even with, uh, I guess it would be seven of a possible eight points to start the season, there's probably still a couple warts they would like to get solved? Or do you think it would be better to just kind of keep this ball rolling right now? Yeah, well, the, the latter for sure, because I think that it's, it's, a, it's a momentum industry not just a momentum game and when you have the momentum you can easily lose it i mean i think about all those years where the flames were rolling going into the bye week and and they come out of it and all of a sudden there's nothing there now the difference obviously is that in a bye week they go on vacation and they're not they're trying not to think about hockey and and the opportunity you have here in front of you is to think about hockey and have essentially part two of training camp and i think that when probably when they looked at the schedule at the start of the season that that's what what they thought 
thought that this could be a blessing in disguise if we're going to get this longish break right now because then whatever we need to fix after four games we can fix right now you know I mean the, the reality is there probably isn't that much to fix and I think for sure you'd hate to lose all the momentum that you built uh, on the power play for example which has just been absolutely fantastic and has you know really won a lot of these games for them um, but you know you have to you have to take the schedule that that you're presented with and you know I've talked to a few general managers this week for other stories and they're all trying to be as philosophical as they can about the challenges that, that they're facing and and you know they're trying to turn negatives into positives they're trying to say you know these double and triple headers are good it, it, it requires you to do far less pre-scouting far less video because it's the same team again and again and again uh, travel isn't as, as difficult because you know you get to stay in a city for a longer stretch of time rather than you know go in you know check into the hotel sleep check out play travel check in in the middle of the night and, and away you go so so all of the things that are different about this year if you can in, in your mind spin them as, as positives uh, you have to do that and, and so I would say that that's how you have to spin this this particular break you know catch your breath a little bit work on the things that need to work on and be prepared to hit the ground running when uh, I think what the Leafs on Sunday it, it seems like really that far off <laughs> you know prepare <laughs> for Toronto right and see what happens. And that that is a Leafs team that you certainly have to be prepared for. Uh, and just to, to correct myself, it is five of a possible six points that they've had so far. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm not I'm not good at math when I have a calculator, but having to do it out of my head is just impossible. Well, you know what? Um, my old friend Bob McKenzie always says, and and it's really true. If if I if I was good at math, I probably would have become an accountant. And and the reason <laughs> that we're doing what we're doing is because we're not very good at the math, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Once I saw that I only needed a 65 in math to get into broadcasting, I was there. <laughs> um, but we, we talk about um, kind of finding your way in the early part of the season. It sure does help when you have a goalie who is acting like a brick wall back there. And that kind of seems like what Jacob Markstrom is doing. You can it, you can almost see the calming influence he has back there. It's not the spectacular saves, but he's just always in the right spot at the right time. And that has to be a huge boost for a team as we wade through these unpredictable waters. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And and honestly, I mean, that's, you know, when, when you go back, uh, you know, and talk to the management of the team about, you know, what they had in mind when they, when they went and, and spent the money to get Markstrom to, to come here, you know, that was the single overriding off season goal that, you know, that the goaltending has been, has been good at different, uh, Riddick has been good. Talbot was good at the end. And, you know, Mike Smith, uh, you know, at different times was, was good. They, they've had good goaltending, but they haven't had great goaltending. They haven't had game-changing goaltending. They haven't had the kind of goaltending that, that, they, that, that creates confidence. I mean, it, 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 it's always a hard thing to frame a, a, as an argument, but, but if you believe that your goaltender is going to stop every shot, then it, it frees you up to, to play a, a little bit more aggressive to, to on that 50-50 puck to, you know, to just, you know, okay, I'm, I'm going to go for it rather than I'm going to back off. It, 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 it works the other way, too. If, if you're not sure about your your goaltending you know when you have that that 50 50 play where you could be embarrassed if, if you get caught in the zone and you give up a, a two-on-one the other way and it's in the back of the net and you know who they're going to point to it's the guy at the other end of the rink that that you know that, that got caught up ice it, it changes the dynamic of, of a team game 
And so I think that when they targeted Markstrom, they saw how many times he was a difference maker for that Vancouver team. So last year, Vancouver had a, an excellent, you know, building block kind of a season. They had these young players like Pedersen and, and Hughes that just that they played free, right? I mean, they, you know, they were, they were so much fun to watch. And, you know, my sense is part of the reason that they're maybe not as, as um, off to the kind of the marks that, that those two would like is because they probably don't have that sort of same calm uh, confidence in their goal. I think that that will come. I mean, they, Vancouver has, again, they have good goaltending right now, but last year they had game-changing, you know, win a game that you probably shouldn't deserve to win kind of goaltending. And it's different. It's different. And so this year it appears anyway on a, on a very um, small sample that, that the Flames have it. Eric, awesome as always. We understand you're a, a busy man, so we'll, we'll let you go. But uh, looking forward to, to chatting more as the, the season goes on, as we, we all continue to open our eyes and, and maybe start to, to trust what we see a little bit more as uh, the, the players are figuring things out, but also we as people who are observing the sport have some time to figure out what the hell we're watching over these next little bit. So, uh, <laughs> I don't mind it saying unpredictable, to be honest with you, because it, 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 it's, that, that's the nature of professional sport, right? That whole on any given Sunday thing. And, and normally it, it sort of sorts itself out as the season goes along. Who knows? Maybe this year it won't sort itself out. And there'll be these crazy you know, momentum swings and teams will go on big runs and then, then fall off. And uh, I, you know, I think that's what, what is going to keep us tuned in night after night after night during this shortened season. Yeah, it certainly will never be boring. Uh, Eric, thank you for this. We'll talk again soon. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, there is our NHL insider, Eric Dehatchik, joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline for takeout and delivery. When you're tired of cooking, call 403-248-3344. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar at 6060 Memorial Drive in the Northeast. Time for us to take a break. When we come back, what did Corey Sarge see in the Flames' second straight win over the Vancouver Canucks? We'll break down the Flames' performance, what was there, and what wasn't there from Vancouver when we continue here on Hockey Central at noon. Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. We continue to dissect a Calgary Flames victory after a win over the Canucks last night, putting them at 2-0-1 to start the year. Very pleased to be joined by Corey Sarich as we continue to analyze what we saw last night. Corey, how are you today, sir? I'm doing great. How about yourself today, Peter? I'm doing well. Once again, uh, a lot to talk about from that that Flames game last night. Uh, much more positive than I thought it was going to be after that first period. Um, we, we've liked the the uh, the Flames starts in the, the first couple of games. Not so much against Vancouver last night. Before we get into how it turned around, well, what did you see from that, that opening frame between the Flames and the Canucks? Well, it was kind of a complete role reversal from what we saw the, the previous game. And you expected Vancouver to come out and have more push, have more zip in their game, which they obviously did in that first period. But to kind of go hand-in-hand with that, um, there was just a lot of really sloppy play in the neutral zone from the Calgary Flames. And, you know, thinking back to games over the course of the past couple years, it it just reminded me of um, a few of of their starts. Um, I, I... I'm hoping that it's not going to be something that squeaks back into their game because I thought the first two games this year, they did do a great job of, you know, imposing themselves on the other team in the first period. But this one, they just, they absolutely couldn't make a pass in the neutral zone. Uh, At both blue lines, they were turning over pucks and it really sets the tone, how you navigate your way through the neutral zone. It's, 
It's it's little little plays from winger to centerman. It's um, when you're regrouping with your defenseman. It's just all those short little passes in the neutral zone that allow you to put pucks into areas to forecheck and give Vancouver some credit. They they did a good job of getting through the neutral zone on the Calgary Flames. They put pucks behind the Flames, and again, the, the shots were complete completely lopsided in that first period and. The Flames were, you know, in fact, very lucky to get out of that first period um, almost relatively unscathed. Yeah, I mean, Elias Pettersson's not going to miss an open net on a 2 on 0 probably ever again in his entire career. That was uh, quite a blessing for the uh, for the Flames. The, the neutral zone, I'm happy you brought that up because it really does. Like, this is, hockey is a very complex game and there are a lot of moving parts. But it really does seem like a, a lot of it comes down to who gets through the neutral zone the easiest. If you can get through there and set your stuff up, it makes life easier. And if you can slow the other team down through that neutral zone, it just seems like such hard work to, to really get into that flow yeah and I, I, the thing that surprises me is you know the game of hockey isn't as physical as it used to be but still getting in a person's road um it's very effective it doesn't have to be a big body check but it takes some dedication it takes some uh, a little bit of grit and in the first period calgary just had none of it but again i, I think the biggest issue was their their passing just in general if you can't make a pass well, there's no way you're going to get through the neutral zone and then there's no way you're going to get to where you need to be to put the puck in a place where you can go and forecheck. So it is, it's, it's, it's just, a, it's small little skills that all come together. It's being on the same page. It's being able as a player to read what you're being given and, and not being stubborn. Sometimes you have to dump the puck in. I know today's game is about puck possession, but at times it's about putting puck in a place where you can soft chip and retrieve it hard rims so your far winger can go get it and you know what vancouver fell fell kind of uh into the trap that the flames fell into into the first period and they couldn't navigate the neutral zone for the for the fall or the second half of the game they started turning pucks over at blue lines they stopped using each other they just started to try to try and do it more individually to get down to the other team's end and it completely backfired for them so neutral zone, very important part of the game. You know, we all talk about offensive zone, Z zone, but if you have no transition game, um, you're you're in one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and into the, the second and then into the third period, the Flames really start to take over. I think the shots were 20 to three in that second period for the Flames, which um, I just proved in our last segment. I'm not a huge math guy, but that seems good. Um, and it really does kind of feel like special teams. We've talked about it a lot so far this season, but special teams helping flip it in the favor of the Flames with a pretty strong penalty kill. Yeah, they did a really nice job. Um, on their penalty kills last night. Obviously, they did give up the shorthanded goal uh, to Myers later on and into the third period. But overall, it was generally a good effort, and that was probably stems from the goal crease out. Uh, Markstrom was solid. He got a, got some help again. I think there might have been a piece of iron clanging out there uh, at least once last night. But when you're in good position, those pucks tend to not find the back of your net. So he was probably, he was probably the... Uh, the starting point, but I thought the guys kept Vancouver to the perimeter. Vancouver did have a few opportunities last night in their power play, but that's bound to happen. Um, the one, one of the biggest things for me in turning the momentum last night's game was the Vancouver Canucks themselves. Um, if we take a quick look at their defensive zone play, it was atrocious. Um, I, 
I know they don't have a huge decor back there. Tyler Myers is tall, but he's not a real physical player presence. Edler's a pretty big guy who can usually, you know, he plays the game pretty well at both ends, and Hamannick's probably their best defender. But these guys had no answer for Calgary's cycle. Calgary had a great penalty kill midway through the second frame. They started to take over momentum. Goudreau, Monaghan, Kachuk had a couple of good shifts together, even though Kachuk has been playing a little bit on two different lines. But the Vancouver Canucks, I just was very disappointed in their inability to stop the cycle. And they allowed Calgary to skate with the puck. They allowed Calgary to start using the full offensive zone like they did the previous game. And it just started resulting in the Vancouver Canucks looking in disarray in their own end. And I really liked Calgary's ability to kind of like take advantage of that. And you talk about um, Gaudreau out there with Kachuk and Monaghan. That, that, that shift after a penalty kill really seemed to, to turn the tide to your point. And it, it almost seemed like it reminded Gaudreau and Monaghan like, hey, remember when we were awesome? Let's do that again. Um, how much can like one shift going really well affect a player's confidence for the rest of a game? Well, it can just get your get your own team headed in the right direction. And you know what I do like about what I've seen from number 13 and 23 so far this year is they've just been going out and, and trying to get it done. There's been no, no frustration yet. There's been no, oh, the weight of the world is upon me. They're just going, they're contributing. They may not be considered Calgary's top line right now, but they're still super effective. And when they go about it and they do things the right way, as far as their decisions in when they can make plays and when they have to be a little bit more on the safe side. I think they've had a really nice balance thus far. And, hey, they're talented players and they're scary players to play against. So when they decide to roll, um, that, can, that can tilt the ice in, in the home team's favor. Uh, another thing you brought up in there was uh, Jacob Markstrom helping out on the penalty kill. You, you've played in front of uh, a number of goalies uh, to, to varying skill levels, of course. Um, well, when you have a goalie as calm as Jacob Markstrom is back there, how much do we hear all the time about it, how it gives you guys more confidence? How, but like, really, how much of an effect does that have when that dude is just so calm back there, even in, in high leverage situations? Um, I don't think people understand how much confidence it gives a hockey team when you have a world-class goaltender in between the pipes. I mean, I ta- I speak back to the days of playing in front of Mika Kiprasov, and it allows you as a player to not have to be perfect. I mean, yes, hockey is the game of mistakes, but when you have someone that's between the pipes that you maybe don't rely as heavily on or you know that if you do give up the odd chance, there's a good chance it's going to end up in your net, it affects you mentally as a player. It affects the whole team in the way they perform. And I've been lucky to play in front of uh, a few good goaltenders in my time, Kipper being one of the best, Nikolai Habibulin. Uh, I played in, in front of Dominic Hasek my first um, year and a half in Buffalo. And it was amazing. It was amazing to watch this guy in practice. I don't think I ever scored on him, actually, in uh, probably about a year because he wouldn't let me. And it just it lets your team exude confidence. And it lets your team go and, and, and function and be calm on penalty kills, like a couple of the big ones that the Flames had. So I don't know how to put it into words, but it is one of the – well, that's why teams look for great goaltending. And they say that – you got to have a goaltender to win a championship, and it generally rings true. 
Uh, a couple more here with Corey Saric and Hockey Central at noon. Uh, we talked about the lack of physicality from Vancouver. That not necessarily a problem for the the Calgary Flames. Um, we saw a few times, and it's not it's not going to be the physical play of when you played. Like there aren't going to be three thousand hits in a game and a bunch of fights or anything like that. But you can still play physical in this NHL, and it really did seem like the Flames found a pretty good balance with that last night. Yeah, and a couple of again are, are the steadying influences out there are. Uh, Lindholm, they're not big body checks, but he gets in people's road. Uh, Kachuk, he throws his body around out there. He does get in people's people's kitchen. He, they're always thinking, you know where he's going to be. Uh, Milan Lucic last last night on Mark Giordano's goal, he may not have, it may not have been the guy that he hit that coughed the puck up, but he went and sent some fear and panic into the Vancouver defenseman, and they just. They just tossed him right into the slot. A big pizza, and Mark Giordano was uh, feasting on it in the slot, you know, and just pounded that one by Thatcher Demko last night. So it has its place in the game still. Like we talked about in the neutral zone, it's a great way to slow the other team down if you get in the road. You go, if a player knows you're going to come stick check them, there's no threat, and guys are talented enough these days to, you know, make moves and make plays. But if you can surprise guys and start, being physical and imprint that in their in their mind when they're trying to take space, um, it just slows down. It slows down everything, and it makes it makes their reaction time a little bit delayed, and it it benefits your team. There's still a place in the game for physical play. Uh, I know you have to get running, so so last one. The Flames <clears throat> now with six days off between games. I believe it's six. They don't play again until Sunday, so however many days that is. Um, they, they just are really starting to get into that groove, and now it just kind of halts for, for six days. How do you kind of keep that momentum going when you're not actually playing the game? Well, you practice hard. That's first and foremost. You go out there and you try to replicate I know, I know we're, at, we're at a weird day and age where you don't want to lose guys to injury. You don't want to have to deal with any of that stuff, you know, especially if it comes out of practice. But I'm, I'm a firm believer in you practice like you play. And I was taught that by some of the uh, wiser gentlemen that I played with in my, in, over the course of my career. And it's usually the guys that I had to practice the hardest against that were usually the most prepped for games. So I hope the Calgary Flames take take that into consideration when they're getting some work done this week. Um, I do feel bad though. Hockey players are creatures of habit. And I know for me, when you start to get a little momentum on your side, you start to get rolling. You just want to keep it. So it's unfortunate that that the break comes right now after a couple wins, but the good thing about the break is they will be feeling good about themselves. So I just hope they channel it the right way. Don't relax, stay intense and let's be ready to go come next weekend. Corey, this was great, man. We'll we'll let you get running, but uh, thanks for doing this, and we'll ta- uh, talk about the the Flames games when they're back in a- uh, back in action next week. All right, I'll probably uh, chat with you sometime next week, then, Peter. Thanks for having me. All right, thank you. There is uh, Corey Sarich again breaking down the Flames after every Flames game day or on Mondays when they play on the weekend. And he does so on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline for takeout and delivery. When you're tired of cooking, call 403-248-3344, Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar at 6060 Memorial Drive in the Northeast. That's going to do it from Hockey Central at noon. All of it was coming out of the Iconic Studio, powered by Iconic Electric and Controls. Excellence, it's Iconic. Contact them today at IconicEC.ca. More on the Flames win from last night and more from the NFL as we get ready for their version of the Final Four as the big show kicks off next on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.